You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. Great to see you in worship. We are continuing our series titled The Real Jesus. We're going to spend a year in the Gospel of Luke, and I hope you're enjoying it as much as the teaching pastors are. Uh, My topic this morning, Growing God's Way. And as Jennifer already highlighted, hopefully it'll be very practical, but practical for everyone, young and old, for singles, for couples, for families. But I do want to say from the outset, sometimes a passage in Scripture lends more to a a unique group. This passage and Luke 1 and 2 truly lends to growing as families. And so I'm going to focus a little bit there, but I promise you this, it is a message for everyone, relevant certainly for all of us, regardless of the stage you are in your spiritual journey. Now, the interesting thing is recently, as the elders and staff have worked hard on developing a new course, brand new course called The Journey, you're going to be hearing more about that in time to come. Our first course is next Sunday, January 19th. We're excited for that. But one of our new core values at Westwind Church is what we call building families. Why is that? Because that's God's heart. The family is the first institution, the divine institution. And so we want to certainly join the journey and prioritize what God prioritizes and build families. But as we've worked on developing what that might look like in 21st century America, we know the family takes a lot of different shapes today, right? So the elders made a very uh, deliberate uh, statement in our building core building families to suggest that we want to care for every family in their unique journey. And that means every. And so maybe you're a single parent or a blended family. Maybe you've experienced the pain and hardship of divorce. Maybe you're a nuclear family, you're celebrating great things. We want to come alongside everyone. For those down in the front row thinking about family, preparing for family, marriage even. Chris is shaking his head, not me. But the girls were very attentive there. (laughs) Liking that, liking it. But one of the things that I thought about was uh, the journey of my wife. When Ellen was eight years old, her father died of a heart attack. He was 41. And so Ellen's mom raised six kids, literally alone. She's been a widow now for 45 years. It's Nani. She's a little Polish lady. And we love her to death. But I'll tell you something. She went through some very difficult times. And what a beautiful thing to look back on those years and see Christ intervene, see the church stand with this family, and see the Bible become central and transform many in Ellen's family. My story is a little bit different. I grew up in a broken home. I saw a divorce twice. And it was very non-nuclear. There was a lot of chaos. But God was faithful again when Christ intervened and saved me and then my mom. And the Bible became front and center in our lives and transformed us. And I look today, right now, the privilege to come out of that kind of chaos and to have a marriage now for three decades, 
albeit imperfect, to raise three kids who are now young adults, albeit challenging, I stand in awe of God that he cares for the family. And so, a message for everyone, but particular today to the family. And so, would you join me uh, in standing? We have enjoyed reading the Word of God together aloud. This is Luke chapter 2, verses... uh, 41 through 52, just so you know, we are wrapping up what we call the birth narrative of Jesus. Luke invests, he's the only one of the four gospel accounts, he invests two chapters in helping us understand the fulfillment, the Messiah is coming, angels show up, Gabriel, senior citizens get divinely impregnated and and a miracle happens and John the Baptist is born which was foretold in the book of Malachi, someone to prepare the way of the Lord. Joseph struggling, are you serious? My gal is pregnant, this can't be. He was gonna put her away privately. An angel intervenes, Joseph takes Mary to be his wife. Last week we saw in our passage that The Holy Family came from Nazareth to Jerusalem and at 12 days dedicated baby Jesus and we're looking at the family. And so let's uh, journey together through this passage. Read aloud, everyone, join me please. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. Thank you. Please be seated. I always encourage you taking out your Connect card, and I like to start with a blessing. This comes from Revelation 1.3. God gives his word to bless us. So John says, blessed are those who Read, who hear, and apply, take to heart the word of God. And so the blessing is this. An examination of the early years of Jesus will motivate us to prioritize growing God's way. And so what we're going to suggest this morning is there is a pattern for spiritual growth, and there are key elements that you and I can have in our individual lives, our marriages, and yes, in our family, and as we forecast 2020, we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to highlight from this beautiful passage uh, three priorities. Priority number one, the worship of God. 
Now, what I find interesting in the first two chapters, here's what Luke does. He is so deliberate. He is really trying to uh, highlight what I call the piety, the devotion, the commitment that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus have to worship. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn there. And I want to look back to last week. We didn't cover some things. Caleb did a great job on the piercing of the soul and the heart issue. But there's a few things we want to go back to. Look at Luke 2, through 24. And consider the, the worship motif here. It says that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem And notice this next phrase, to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. So, we have practiced uh, often since I've been here, a year and a half now, child dedication. Friends, when you think about dedicating your child to the Lord, this is the biblical precedent. It goes all the way back to the law of Moses where God says to Israel, take the firstborn and dedicate your child to me. So here's the holy family in response to God's word coming up to Jerusalem to dedicate Jesus. It's an act of worship. Further, in Luke 2.24, we read that Joseph and Mary worshiped God, how? Through giving, by offering a sacrifice, notice what verse 24 says, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, notice this, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, Mary and Joseph's offering was not the expectation of the day, but it rather was an exception given to people who were poor. One of the things that we have to embrace about uh, Mary and Joseph was they were poor people. They were people who lived very simply. They were in rural Israel, if you will. They were in a small village. They didn't have a lot, but here's the beautiful thing. What do they do? They come up to Jerusalem as an act of worship, and they give their best to the Lord. And friends, when you think about giving, When you think about worshiping God through generosity, here's what we learn from Joseph and Mary. It's not the amount that counts. What really counts in giving is the heart. What drives giving, what drives living generous for the Lord is a heart of worship. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. We've, for some time as Elders Board, been talking about how do we create a culture of generosity at Westwind? Well, I think it's already here, and we always want to just keep encouraging it. But I would say this, foundationally, generosity with our time, our treasure, our talent, and touch is a heart issue. It begins with worship of God. And so whether you're given uh, two turtle doves or pigeons because you're impoverished, well, God seizes the hearts. And that's why Paul picks that theme up in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He loves a cheerful giver, someone who's motivated from within, not twisting your arm, not compulsion, not guilt, not shame. None of that will go down at Westwood. But we will always try to motivate from the heart. We give as an act of love, and it's an act of worship. Now, to our passage this morning, build upon this theme of worship. In verse 41 of chapter 2, Luke paints another picture of their piety, their devotion, their heart of worship. 
So we read, every year, key phrase, his parents, Jesus' parents, traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. Now there's a few things worth noting about the Holy Family, if you will, making this annual pilgrimage. The first one, and I think is pretty interesting, we'll put it up on a map here. Uh, Mr. Heemstra got this from Google. Today, if you traveled like the Holy Family did from Nazareth, and when it says going up, all that means is that whole area, Jerusalem's built on a rocky knoll. Uh, and so you always went up to Jerusalem. It's kind of cool. It's, it's just a picture of worship where they ascended. That's where we get the songs of ascent in the Psalms. Today, if you took that journey, the best of routes would be 92 miles. Now, this is really interesting. In the ancient world, it wasn't that easy. As best we can discern, and again, I read, try to get the historical context, the Holy Family walked. And they walked as a community. They also would suggest the average family with little kids could walk about 20 miles a day. Parents, can you imagine what it would be like? Boz, can you imagine having the girls tracking 20 miles a day for four to five days to go up to celebrate the Passover? Now, here's the second thing that's really interesting about this. Only the men were required to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the great three feasts. What were they? They were Passover, they were Pentecost, and they were booths. Only the men were required. You know what we know? Joseph, because he loved God, and he was foundationally a man of worship, said, we're not just going as men, we're going as a whole family. And so Joseph went through the painstaking process of putting it on the calendar, preparing his family for this arduous journey up, a whole week in Jerusalem celebrating the feast and festival, and then another five days back. You're investing two plus weeks to celebrate one festival, and you're doing it as a family. Therefore, what I would suggest is this. Joseph prioritized worship. He led his family well. And he knew foundationally before we do anything in the kingdom of God, it starts with worship, standing in awe of him. And so parents, although there are no magic formulas or one-glove-fits-all type approach to raising our children to the glory of God, I would contend this, that families who establish, please hear me, regular habits of worship are less likely to have their spiritual life deflected by alternative distractions of this world. I hope you realize this morning there are a lot of good things that you can say yes to. And we never poo-poo those good things. But what we do say is this, be discerning. Say yes to the best things. Say yes to the right things. And we know this from Scripture. When you say yes to the worship of God, when you prioritize him, other things seem to fall best into place. So, can I make a few suggestions as to how to keep worship a top priority as a family? Some of these will be targeted to the family. Some will be just kind of all-inclusive. When you think of worship, think about one word, giving. That's all worship is. It's giving your best to the Lord. 
We call it all in. Living generous with our time, our treasure, our talent, and touch. All those areas, when you invest time for the kingdom and glory of God, that's an act of worship, folks. When you're generous. You know, let's say you go to a... a a conference for single parenting and you, you pour your life out as a servant there. You serve the meals, you wait on tables, you bless people. That's an act of worship. One of the things I love so much about Westwind and being mobile, believe it or not, is I see a lot of families serving the Lord together. Tactical, children, hospitality, even now in media, fathers and sons tag-teaming to do ministry. If worship is giving, parents, at some point in time, you're going to have to bite the bullet and say, how do we teach our children to be generous with their money? So, when the allowance starts, when the babysitting kicks in, when a real job happens and they get a paycheck, do you talk about Proverbs 3, 9? Hey, how are we going to honor the Lord with our wealth? Larry Burkett, I'm an old guy, he used to have this envelope system. So let's say you make 100 bucks a week, $10 goes for the kingdom and glory of God. What do you think, honey? What do you think, son? Do you want to begin that journey of living generous? And I believe if you start those habits and patterns now, it'd be something to become more natural as they grow up. So that's one. The second thing I'd like to encourage about worship is this. John Piper made a phrase very popular many decades ago. I latched onto it years ago and tried to live this out, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How many of you are familiar with that phrase? Great, great, great. We try to live by that. Now again, there's no magic formulas, but the question I want to ask this morning is, how do we find satisfaction in the Lord? So I would encourage, reflect on Jesus' teaching He's the bread of life, you eat of him, you won't hunger anymore. He's the living water, you drink of him, you won't thirst any longer. We gotta get people to understand that our true satisfaction in life comes with a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So one of the things, families, that I wanna encourage is family devotions. So certainly as individuals, uh, as we've already talked about, seeking God in his word. But how about as couples? How about as families? And again, there's no formulas here. That's not the thing. But could there be a time, a few times a week, that we come together as a family and seek the Lord? Now, for some of you, if this is a brand new concept, Ellen went online and downloaded a really neat resource from Focus on the Family. They're pretty much ahead of the game. And so we have 20 copies of a year-long family devotion that, that's entry level, it's beginner, that maybe you can start getting together, have a scripture, have a project, have some conversations, and see what the Lord does. Any which way you do it, our encouragement is, as families, as couples, seeking the Lord. Now, the last one's a hard one. Prepare for worship. One of the things that we learned from our NCD study is that we, as Westwood, struggle to prepare for corporate worship. You told us that. That's your data to us. 30 people representing the church. And I want to be very sensitive to young families here. I know, I remember the day we had three in diapers. This isn't an easy proposition to make it here uh, on Sunday morning. But a few thoughts I would say. What are we thinking about on Saturday as it relates to Sunday morning worship? I had a gentleman in my former church. He always sat in the back left. 
and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but um, he would fall asleep during the sermon. Almost first words out of my mouth, boom, he's out. And he had some weird thing going on with his neck because his head would do like about a 90 degree backwards. No, I can't even get it like, I don't know. But here's the deal, and he could snore. Not only snore, he could roar. So just imagine being in worship, and he's back there. So, like, initially I was like, this is just cracking me up. And then finally I was like, no, this ain't really good. It's distracting. It's kind of weird. And wait a second, buddy, wake up. I'm preaching. Well, come to find out, and I felt for him, he was a single man, went through a divorce, kind of alone. He would stay up late at night, two, three, four in the morning on Facebook. Of course he's going to come to worship, tired, wasted, not prepared. Again, I'm not trying to pick on him, but I think it's an illustration for all of us. What do we do on Saturday to prepare for Sunday? What would it look like? And we did pretty good today. I, I felt just wonderful about critical mass at 9.30. What would it look like at 9.30 in the morning if we had critical mass and we're giving God our utmost attention? We're setting our affections on him. Well, one elder told us at our elders meeting this past Thursday, he said, what we try to do as a family, again, not perfect formulas, folks. We try to do, we give it our best. He comes a half hour early. Checks the kids in, get the little stickers. If the kids got to go to the restrooms, they do that. And You got three, right? Yeah, take care of that stuff. Four? Four, all right. Keep going, five. So, but here's the deal. Check them in, get the stickers, hit the restroom. And then he said, and I still have time to hang out with the, the Fellowship of the Saints. Now, folks, those are just three simple things, but I promise you, if we keep stepping in the right direction, thinking through how can we prioritize God in worship, great things can happen. One of my favorite verses about worship is John 4. Let me close this section with this. Jesus said to a Samaritan woman, they were debating where you should worship, Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. Jesus says, listen, it's not about location. An hour is coming, now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father, how? With passion, with truth. And I love this next phrase. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. Here's the thing. Some may wonder, oh my goodness, how could it be that God the Father wants us to worship? Well, folks, it really makes sense to me. Everyone here this morning is a worshiper. You know that, right? The question really is, what is the object or what is the affection of your worship? That's why the New Testament say the, the worship or the coveting of money is very evil, the root of all evil. Why? Because you worship a good thing. God gives us the gift of sex, and what happens, it gets distorted, it gets perverted, it gets worship in a negative way, and that good thing becomes a bad thing. Worship is why we were made. And we find our ultimate satisfaction in him. When we worship God's spirit, that small s, with passion, with heart, and in truth, we'll get to the Bible. He's glorified. We're satisfied, and the kingdom comes. What a great way to do 2020. Secondly, priority number two, the Word of God. A few weeks ago, we examined the Magnificat of Mary. It's found in chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, and we discovered this. Mary knew her Bible. 
I love the Magnificat. It is just a beautiful song. But no less than 15 times does Mary quote from the Old Testament in this beautiful hymn, this beautiful song. Remember, Mary's a teenager, 13 to 15 years old. She had the word deeply planted. For those of you, youth, please hear me this morning. Children, students are not the church of the future. They're the church of today. God, all through the Old and New Testament, used young people for his kingdom and glory. Joseph, Daniel, Esther, Mary, the list goes on and on. Let's keep that in mind, young people, as we engage 2020. What are going to be your spiritual goals as you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Now, in addition, I want to remind you of one thing. Who was Joseph in this? Matthew 129 says he was a righteous man. I want you to know something. In the ancient world, you didn't throw that title out lightly. The Hebrew phrase here is sadiq. He was an honorable man, but you never got the title sadiq unless a few things took place in your life. Number one, you knew the Bible, the Torah in particular. Number two, you obeyed it. Joseph not only knew the book, he obeyed the book, and he was called in his community a sadiq, a righteous man. How encouraging. So I trust this morning the testimony of Joseph and Mary challenges each one of us here this morning to love, to know, and to obey God's word. Jesus grew up in a home where the Bible was central to everything, and the implications in Jesus' life is far-reaching. Let me show you one of those implications. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 39. Again, I needed to put uh, the whole of the two chapters together for this talk. But in chapter 1, verse 39, we read a summary statement of the first 12 years of Jesus' life between his dedication in the temple... 12 days, now uh, uh, coming, coming up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover 12 years old. And here's what it says. The boy Jesus grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was upon him. What a beautiful statement for those early years filled with divine wisdom. The child of God is growing up and please don't think Jesus is to be the exception. He is to be the pattern and the norm for our children. Now to our passage. Luke 2, 42 through 47 gives a broader picture of what that wisdom practically looks like. Stick with me. Now he's 12 years old. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in a temple complex, sitting among the teachers, 12 years old, listening to them, asking them questions, and notice this next statement. And all those who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So, like Mary and Joseph, Jesus knew his Bible. 
From early on, he was immersed in God's word, and he grew, folks, in divine wisdom. Proverbs says this, get wisdom at all costs. Parents, you want to raise your kids to the nurturing glory of God? Give them wisdom from God's word at all costs. Make the sacrifice to prioritize God's word first. At all costs, Proverbs says. Sadly, today we live in a day where biblical illiteracy is on the rise. The Bible is no longer front and center in the average home or, and sad to say, the local church. And when we compromise God's word in the home, the raising of our kids, and in the church that Jesus promised he would build, boy, we're in for difficult days. So my question is this, how do we like Joseph, Mary, and Jesus become people of the book? How do we prioritize God's word in our life on a daily basis? And Jennifer Hunter, love your story. And again, this abide daily. Boy, it should just be a theme forever. So first, I would like to suggest we pray for something. And I'm personally praying for this. Praying for a heart. Praying for a passion like the prophet Jeremiah had towards God's word. We read in Jeremiah 15, 16, when your words came, I love this metaphor, I ate them, they were my joy, my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. May I ask you a question? Is the Bible your joy and delight today? Do you metaphorically feast on the word of God? That's what Jeremiah is saying. Or could it be you need motivation? You need encouragement. You need a jump start for 2020. One of my all-time favorite stories that reflects this kind of passion and heart and devotion to God's word comes from Robert Sumner's book, The Wonder of the Word of God. It's a little paperback. It's an exceptional book. He writes, and I quote, The victim's face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both his hands. Interestingly, he was a brand new Christian and one of his greatest disappointments that he could no longer read the Bible on his own. Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips, hoping to do the same. He sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. Much to his dismay, however, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been destroyed by the explosion, making it very difficult to interpret. One day, as he brought one of the braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them. In a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. At the time, Robert Sumner wrote his book, The Wonder of the Word of God. He had read through the Bible four times, the entire Bible, using his tongue. Folks, tell me that's not remarkable. That is the type of devotion, that is the type of encouragement that certainly we want to inspire here. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, they had it, folks. They leaned in to the word of God. And so the question, how about you? How about me? I had a goal last fall, and it was real interesting. Um, it just kind of came one day from the Lord, and I said, boy, that sounds like fun, I'll do it. So last fall, I had this idea of 
uh, reading the Gospel of Luke once a week for the next 52 weeks. I thought, okay, preaching through it, read through it, I'll just immerse myself in the Gospel of Luke, it will be fun. Well, I started out okay, about two hours a week, 20 minutes a day, it wasn't a big deal. And then something happened, early December. Distraction, complacency, busyness, and I basically just dropped the ball. Then, talking to a colleague this past week, he shared with me about his dream as a couple for reading the Bible in this coming year. And God refreshed my dream, my heart. And so I said, you know what, Lord? Can we renew that vision? And so, got back to it this week, and it was just a delight to read through Luke again, and hopefully for the next, all the way through next December. But what we thought this morning was, we thought some of you, like me, get distracted, get busy, whatever happens, and you might need a jump start this morning. So, Mr. Tech, high tech, his name is Nate. Let's give it up for Nate. He's going to show you a few cool things, how you can get engaged. You got one friend out there, Nate. Way to go. I know how it feels, man. Okay, so can I have everyone pull out their Connect card? And... Pull out your phone. Now it's time to use your phone in service. It wasn't earlier, but now it is. So at the bottom of your Connect card, we wanted to give you three resources. There are three QR codes. So once your phone is out, open up your camera app. The three QR codes are for um, different ways that we want to encourage you to engage with Scripture if you're not already. So first off, open your camera app, point it at the screen, like so. What should happen is if you are not on Wi-Fi, a little notification should pop up and take you to the Uversion Bible app with a Bible in 90 days plan. So now the Bible in 90 days is a big commitment, but it's fun. Um, a couple other options we have for you are if you take a look at the bottom of your Connect card underneath the QR codes, we have, from today, moving forward, we will give the scripture for the following Sunday. If you are new and maybe just wanting to take a first step into reading scripture, I want to challenge you to take a look at next week's scripture and read that each day this next week. Um, the next level up would be the first QR code, which is the Bible recap. I know there's a handful of people uh, in our community who are already familiar with the Bible Recap, and it is a organization and a program to read through the whole of Scripture in a year, um, and there's a podcast that goes along with it. That first QR code will take you to the website to walk you through how to do the Bible Recap. Again, the middle one is Bible in 90 Days. It's a big commitment. I am trying it, and... I am going. I I am do, I am doing it. Was that um, your wife? That was Where my wife. She? Yes, she's she's right there. I am doing it. It's been fun that, and hard, <laughs> and I've never missed more than one day. So I've been like catching up two days at once. The very last one we have is our Abide Daily Westwind Facebook group. Um, we would like everyone, if you are on Facebook, to join this group so you can share what you're learning, encourage others and possibly use Facebook as a tool if you would want someone to keep you accountable. If you uh, 
don't have someone um, easily accessible that you would feel comfortable asking, you can put a post up there, hey, I need someone for accountability. I am wanting to read the New Testament this year. And uh, hopefully other people in the group would step in. Um, so I hope that is enough a help and direction for all of you. Give me some of that, Nate. Let's give it up for Nate. I like when they do cool things like that. You should see how many problems I have with computers, softwares, this and that. I call Nate. It's my hero. So, again, we tried to have fun. We tried to make it real practical. How many of you are doing the, what is it called, Nate, the first one? No, the other one. Bible recap. How many of you are doing that right now? Put your hands up. Just, again, if you have more questions on that, talk to these folks. It's really cool. First time I heard about it was this past week at staff meeting. That's why it's here. And we have folks out at a resource table. My wife will be there for various resources, these apps, the family devotions, and so forth. Let's tie it all together. Priority number three, the work of God. And I just loved how this passage just flowed. We start out with worship, vertical, right? Then we engage God's word. He's put his name on par with his word. Then the privilege to work, to serve, to give our lives away. So look at Luke 2, 48 through 50. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, just, just hear the pleading. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then Jesus' response, you'll understand it by the, by the time we're done. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know they had to be in my father's house or about my father's business or addressing the affairs of my father? I think that's a good translation. But they didn't understand what he said to them. Now, a few things just culturally. You may be wondering how you could travel a day and not know your 12-year-old son isn't with you. That's not weird. It's pretty normative. They travel as communities. Typically, men walk with men, women with women, children with children, and they just kind of did it together. So they just had an assumption, hey, Jesus was one of the cousins, one of the aunts or uncles, traveling as a community. Next thing you know, they're one day's journey north and the aha moment. Where, where is uh, where's Jesus? And so I want you to try to uh, put yourself into their shoes just for a moment. Parents, have you ever lost your kid? Moms? We were in Myrtle Beach. Erin was just a little tiker. And we just were setting up shop on the beach. She was maybe five. Hey, where's Erin? Nobody knew. The twins didn't know. Next thing you know, guys, she was gone. I mean gone. And beaches are weird because you got water, right? Is she in there somewhere? Then you got this way and that way and potentially that way. We did not know what to do immediately and we engaged police. There was police on the beach. They got on their four-wheelers. Boom, 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 boom. They were tearing up the beach. No errand. Fifteen minutes later, we found her. She just like wandered the beach. She didn't stop to collect shells. She just, she was like on a mission to find an ice cream cone. When mom and dad found Aaron, the relief. Just imagine Mary's anxiety. One day up, one day back, one day in Jerusalem. Potentially three days. Solid days. It's a lot of time for mom to go through that agony. She needed to be upset. What's going on here? You're going to find through Luke, Mary keeps pondering 
raising the Messiah. It's hard. Now, Joseph has another issue, and you got to stick with me on this. Mary spoke for Joseph, but Jesus basically, in a culture of honor and shame, dishonored his father. Here's what's going on in the ancient world. The literature is pretty vast. When you're 12 years old, this is the training year. This is the time of Deuteronomy 6, where father and son are engaging in a more intensive level. This is apprenticing in the word of God, understanding the truths of Torah, uh, celebrating the Passover, even moving towards a trade. If there is any time, any season, any day, Jesus is to be with his father, it's right now. And so there's this honor, shame thing going on in the culture. And so when Mary says, how could you treat mom and dad like this? You know what she's basically saying? My heart's just been ravaged. I thought we lost you for good. Dad is shamed because he's supposed to be mentoring you. And you disappear, son. What about the commandments, Exodus 20? Honor your father and mother. Jesus, what are you doing? Well, we pick up the story with Jesus' response. And let's take a look because it's crucial. Jesus says, Mom and Dad, it is happening. He says, Mom, Dad, I know this is hard, but I am with my Father. I am doing my heavenly father's purpose. Mom, I am engaging in the work of God. Dad, I am being apprenticed by my heavenly father. Mom, dad, the kingdom is coming. And I know it hurts. I know it's confusing. I know it's going to be difficult. But trust me, I am about my father's business. I'd like for you to look, if you would, to the key passage, key verse of this whole passage. It's Luke 2.49. Don't miss this because this is a theme in all the four gospel accounts. Jesus lovingly, respectfully, and honorably says to his mother and father, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That one phrase, I had to be, shows up everywhere. It is the hinge for Jesus' life. John 4. He's going through Samaria. Typically, you don't even go through Samaria. I must go through Samaria. Why? I'm on mission. This is my purpose, to seek and to save lost people. I have to be about my father's business, his affairs, trump even my mom and dad's affairs. I have a higher priority, and it's hard. And so in closing, one verse it's John 17, 4. And if you want to know what drove Jesus all the days of his life, this is his final hours, folks. This is his high priestly prayer. In John 17, 4, we read this, Father, I have glorified you on earth by doing what? Completing the work you gave me to do. It was all about the Father's work, the Father's business, his affairs. That's what drove him. Please hear me, folks. Jesus wasn't dishonoring. He wasn't disrespectful. But he was called. 
He was called to put first things first. What were those things? The worship of God, the word of God, and yes, the work of God. Those were his highest priorities. I want to highlight two ministries that need your help. I'm just going to hit them quickly because of time. Number one, current needs. Um, we have Tactical. This is Nate Heemstra's ministry. We need one more life group to say yes to the work of God on Sunday morning setting up and then two or three more individuals to help. In addition, children's ministry always needs help. So both Nathan, uh, Tara Ballback are going to be in the foyer. If you have any questions of how to plug in and help serve in those uh, unique ministries, to be about the work of God, please stop by their table. They would welcome that. And so as we go into 2020, it doesn't really get any simpler than this. Prioritize worship, prioritize the word, and prioritize the work. We're going to sing a song that really is a prayer. And I hope this song embodies our heart corporately, but yours individually as couples, as families. The birth narrative, the early years of Christ end with a beautiful statement. It's a refrain we've seen in the Old Testament with Samuel, with John the Baptist, Luke 2.52. Let me draw your attention to the screen. Maybe. I'll just paraphrase it. And Jesus went home and he obeyed his parents. And he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. May it be so of us today. When we prioritize worship, his word, his work, I think God will be pleased, will find favor, will honor him. Let's commit to increasing in these three prioritized of the Holy Family. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you. Thank you for beautiful examples and no better than Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Help us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel to prioritize what you prioritize, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.